Hello and welcome to the Core of the Bible podcast. My name is Steve and I'll be your host as we explore the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. It's my belief the core of the Bible consists of seven main principles of conduct surrounding the topics of the kingdom, integrity, vigilance, holiness, trust, forgiveness, and compassion. So on today's episode, I'd like to start with the topic of the kingdom, especially because the kingdom of God has been misunderstood and misinterpreted, and there's many different views about what the kingdom of God is and who's in the kingdom of God. But I just wanted to start with a very broad outline, and this may be a little bit longer episode, but it's important to set this standard, I believe, because everything else is based on our understanding of the kingdom. So let's get started right at the beginning with how the kingdom of God came to be and what it's all about. So from the beginning of all things, God designed mankind in his own image for the purpose of providing representative rulership for him on the earth. That's what it all boils down to. According to Yeshua, this was so that God's will would be accomplished within his physical creation to mirror what is always accomplished in the ideal of God's reign in his spiritual realm. And we're all familiar with this passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Yeshua says, pray then in this way, when he was teaching them how to pray. He says, our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's it. The kingdom coming is God's will being done on earth. So what is the kingdom of God? God's reign is revealed to us as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which I believe are synonymous terms. The root of the word kingdom as used in the Bible literally means the realm in which a king sovereignly rules. Okay, it's a realm in which a king sovereignly rules. In its simplest definition, the kingdom of God is present anywhere that God reigns supreme. So God, as the creator of all, he has the inherent right to instruct people as to what is good and right, And he's done so through his word, or his Torah, instruction, what we now call the Bible. Because he has created all things and given life to all, he deserves our honor, our respect, and our allegiance. And the kingdom, then, is present anywhere and any time that people acknowledge God and his instruction as sovereign, when he is honored, or respected, or worshipped, and obeyed in spirit and truth. So let me say that again. The kingdom is present anywhere and any time, that people acknowledge God and his instruction as sovereign, when he's honored, respected, worshipped, and obeyed in spirit and in truth. So let's look at the rule of God expressed in creation. So to teach all of mankind the principles of God's reign, the kingdom of God on earth was first foreshadowed by Adam and Eve in the garden, then the nation of Israel at Sinai, and ultimately the reigns of David and Solomon. So let's start with the Adamic or the natural kingdom, this idea of rulership. So it starts back in Genesis chapter 1. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing 
that moves on the earth. So there's that idea of rulership. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, it also says this, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the seas. So again, this idea of man ruling over creation. So man has been designed by God from the beginning to be an overseer of all that God has created. So for us to do that effectively, we must be faithful to the creator and the principles he has provided for us to operate by, which is his Torah or his instruction. Okay, so that was the Adamic or natural order of man ruling over creation. So now let's take a look at the Mosaic or a national kingdom. This is where God called the people to himself. This takes place in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. It says, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. That's actually the first time that we see the word kingdom as some sort of form of God's representative government um, explicitly listed here in Scripture. So, at the foot of Mount Sinai, God was preparing another example here. The people of God would collectively be set apart from all others in the world, and God would be their king. So, by naming them as priests, he was illustrating the responsibilities of man beyond just the created natural order into the moral and spiritual realm as well. God was beginning to bridge the two realms of his kingdom and rulership into one. However, he also foresaw that Israel would want a physical king at some point, and they would ultimately fall away from his sole rulership. And even this was by design, though, since he had always intended for a representative individual to be at the head of his people. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6-7, through 7, and also verse 22, it says, But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So this is the Mosaic section uh, of the kingdom where the people were called out from among the nations. This is what happened at the Passover event when they left Egypt. God called him, this group of people to himself. They met at the foot of Mount Sinai. God gave them a law, a Torah, and established himself as king over the nation. But he knew that they would ultimately want a king like the rest of the other nations. And this was part of his plan. So let's look at the next phase of God's kingdom, which is the Davidic kingdom. So the Davidic kingdom is considered the ideal kingdom. From scriptural uh, scriptural standpoint it is the standard that is used to measure every other kingdom or representation of the kingdom that we've seen so here in first chronicles chapter 17 is where we see this ideal expressed so let's take a look at it uh, beginning in verse 23 now O lord let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant that's david and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken 
Let your name be established and magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. And the house of David your servant is established before you. Now it has pleased you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have blessed, and it is blessed forever. So the physical kingdom of Israel reached its pinnacle with the reign of David and his son Solomon. And David was so faithful to God that he became a type and foreshadowing of a more expansive and universal kingdom that would once again allow God to reign through a leader that he himself would appoint. So all of these representations from Adam to Moses to David, they collectively set principles in place that would instruct mankind about this eternal kingdom of God, which was to be filled, fulfilled on the earth in the days of his anointed one, Yeshua. So now that there's a standard that's set, there began to be prophecies about this coming universal kingdom. So from David on, prophets of Israel began to point towards a new type of kingdom that would surpass any one national representation to a universal reign over the entire earth. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, very famous passage, usually around Christmas time, says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will accomplish this. In Daniel 2, verse 44, it also says, In the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. It's important to see in that passage too that it says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up that kingdom. So it was designed to be set up, it was, for, it was uh, prophesied to be set up at a very specific point in time. Daniel chapter 7 uh, some of the visions that Daniel experienced. He says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. There's the universal aspect of it. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So this universal reign expressed by the prophets was to be fulfilled within God's timing with a man of God's own choosing, one appointed by God, a Messiah. He would faithfully carry out God's directives and be rewarded with lordship over the kingdom, bridging the divide between this temporal physical reality and the eternal spiritual reality. So now let's take a look at this spiritual kingdom as it was explained by Messiah. So this is the messianic or the spiritual kingdom. So the coming of the kingdom with Yeshua was the fulfillment of this pattern and the prophecies that had been established for hundreds of years. 
And here's some examples. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In Mark chapter 4, verse 11, And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables. Luke 16, verse 16, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, and since that time the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. And in Acts 1, verse 3, To these he, Yeshua, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So Yeshua taught that the kingdom was not a political or a religious rulership, but a dynamic that was already present in his day and being manifested for everyone to see. Uh, some examples of this, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he, Yeshua, answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst or among you. Uh, John chapter 3, another example, verses 3 and 5. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, while there are many, <laughs> many different aspects and interpretations of all these verses, we could park on any one of these verses and probably spend a half an hour explaining more in detail about what he was talking about. The general thrust of all these passages is that the kingdom was something that was present. It was being expressed right then and there. Now, one thing it's also important to remember is that, and there's a lot of different opinions on this too, but in my view, the kingdom is not the church. Let me say that again. The kingdom is not the church. Uh, we'll be talking about some of these topics more in depth at a later point, but let me at least touch on this and give you a flavor of where I'm coming from on this. So today, obviously, many believers equate the church with the kingdom. However, it must be remembered that Yeshua was sent to bring the good news or the gospel of the kingdom, not the good news of the church. He did not come to start a new religion, but to fulfill the promises of God to his people. So Yeshua was sent by God to manifest the kingdom or the reign of God in this physical creation, starting with the foundational teachings that had been long established since Adam and Eve. However, his teachings were not based solely on a list of things to do and not to do, but on an attitude of genuinely respecting God's authority in every area of life. So Yeshua taught that right living is attained through honoring God and his Torah or instruction. That's it. No organizations, no infrastructures, no strategies for growth, just doing what's right at all times. In Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34, he says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is what kingdom living is all about. 
It's not limited to a certain building or a geographical area or a time of day or day of the week. It is fluid, it's organic, it's self-replicating through selfless actions of believers seeking the manifestation of the kingdom and the direction of the Spirit of God through His Word. So because this isn't really a natural concept for most people, God demonstrated kingdom principles through His ecclesia, what we call the church, this called-out gathering, so that people could see what this set-apart type of life in this world could look like. But the goal was not to set a pattern of duplicating copies of this temporary ecclesia, but to model the positive actions and attributes of the ecclesia. So just like Israel in the wilderness, the ecclesia represented in the Bible provides object lessons and examples for right living. It was the kingdom of God expressed among the nations of the earth. So through the efforts and the network of the ecclesia, the disciples also carried this message of the kingdom to the scattered Israelites among the nations, where many different people, Jews and non-Jews alike, were encouraged by the gospel of this, this gospel of the kingdom, and they also became believers. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women alike. Acts 28, verses 23 and 31, When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Paul also spoke of the spiritual nature of the kingdom as it was not something to be governed with traditions of men. In Romans chapter 14, verses 17 through 18, he says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, which is worldly rules and regulations, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Messiah is acceptable to God and approved by men. So other than the Messiah and his post-resurrection first century body of believers, there has not been, is not now, and will not be any one physical representation of the kingdom on earth. The kingdom is propagated solely by the Spirit of God through His Word, working His will in the hearts and the minds of people as they submit to its authority in their lives. It does not and cannot reside in any one physical building, location, or institution. Now, the Bible also says the kingdom cannot be shaken. In Hebrews 12, this is an interesting uh, facet or symbolic way to describe it. In Hebrews 12, the writer spends a good deal of time contrasting the New Jerusalem which is symbolic of the kingdom, with the fleshly kingdom of Israel, which was founded at Sinai. Using imagery taken from Moses and the prophet Haggai, he outlines this contrast. In Hebrews 12, uh, verses 25 and 26, he says, Watch out that you do not refuse the one who's speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, that is Israel and Moses, much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven, whose voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. So here, just uh, for context, when the writer of Hebrews is saying, if we reject the one who warns from heaven, of course that applies to everybody, but it was specifically for this group of individuals in the first century. If we reject the one who warns from heaven, because he was writing to those people about what was going on right then, and he's quoting from Haggai, and here it is um, in Haggai 2, verses uh, 6 and 7. 
For thus says Yahweh of hosts, Once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh of hosts. The latter glory of this house, verse 9, will be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares Yahweh of hosts. And then Hebrews 12 continues in verse 27. Now the phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, namely, things that have been created, in order that the things that are not shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be thankful through which let us serve God acceptably with awe and reverence. So, in this whole passage, the fleshly kingdom of Israel was of this creation, and therefore susceptible to shaking and removal. However, the kingdom of God is unshakable because it's not of this world. Yeshua said this in John chapter 18, uh, verse 36. It says, Jesus replied, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So all of this um, is a lot of information, and some of this may be new to you as listeners um, who haven't heard this type of information before. So let's look at some application. How can we apply some of this information for today? So in review, to rule on the earth is to be image bearers of God and act in ways that honor him and his creation as he originally intended. Ruling or reigning on this earth does not necessarily mean to rise to political sovereignty or power. But it does mean to exercise dominion by intentionally applying God's righteous standards in all we do and say. Let me say that again. We are to exercise dominion by intentionally applying God's righteous standards in all we do and say. In this way, God's kingdom standards are expressed and fill the earth at all levels of society. So the kingdom, therefore, exists as an independent reality within itself. But it is expressed here in this creation when and where God's will is accomplished by those who love and serve him. The life that is set apart is a life of right action, not just words or creeds or traditions, but it's based on the whole of God's Torah or instruction. And while everything in the spiritual realm, the heavenly host is submitted to him, not everyone in this physical realm recognizes him as the creator and therefore his kingdom authority in practice among humans, is limited by those who either do not know him or who choose not to obey him. However, as individuals submit to his rightful authority in their lives, he then rules over them. Hence, his kingdom becomes expressed in this physical realm through the hearts and actions of those who are faithful to him. So this is the goal and the fulfillment of prophetic declaration of the entire biblical narrative. For people to honor God as the creator of all, and to righteously represent his standards while propagating humanity in all lands. This is, and will be, the completion and fulfillment of all that was stated from the Garden of Eden through the prophesied New Jerusalem of Revelation. As God's standards become more and more prominent with successive generations, then God's kingdom is increased until it fills the earth. 
as humans continue to align with God's sovereign rule over all things, then all things become harmonized with his will, and as Yeshua taught us to pray, his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Whew, okay, well there you have it. I know that uh, a lot of that information is probably new to you. Maybe you haven't heard that before, or maybe it's tugging at your heart because it's something you might have thought, but you've never had it expressed. I certainly want to be able to invite anyone to comment or to contribute to this podcast to let me know what you think and let me know how you're feeling about this. And uh, I understand these topics could be controversial. That's okay. Uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be able to talk through issues. And I want to make sure that you recognize I'm not trying to put any denominations or any other systems of belief down. The goal is I'm trying to focus on the essentials of the biblical message. And I recognize that's not going to please everyone, but I'm more than happy to discuss with you any of your concerns. So if you'd like to join the conversation, you can jump over to coreofthebible.org where this show is posted. There's opportunities for commenting there. Um, you can access the show notes and also find free downloadable resources regarding the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form, which is the goal, of course, of this podcast. So thank you for your interest in listening today. I greatly appreciate it if you've made it this far. Um, thanks for sticking with me, and I hope to be invited back into your headphones in another episode to come. Take care. Take care.